To the driven entrepreneurs out there who want to build habits that transform people's lives and scale your business, today we have Henley van Vick with us, who wrote a whole book on it, The Eleventh Habit. And looking at it from the scientific perspective, but also very practical sense of working with companies, changing environments to increase the productivity in the company and a lot more. So let's listen in. I believe that greater care should be taken in the workplace to humanize it first so that people can do the jobs that they are paid to do even better. And a lot of that does start with habits. It does start with self-care, which is one of the reasons we wrote the book, The 11th Habit, because we believe very strongly that in order for people to arrive at work energized, ready to go, um, with great stamina and um, keeping them engaged over a period of time, uh, requires you first to look after yourself. And then to build work around that or the world of work around that in such a way that it continues to humanize and add value to you as a human being, for me, I think is a very important aspect of work. Because I, I firmly believe that people want to do well and want to do their jobs well. <clears throat> and very often, um, the way that work is structured uh, tends to get in the way of that. I prefer starting with the physical space in which you work, working with relationships in the workplace, um, growing diversity, so really looking at the social uh, culture of the organization and using social contagion as an approach to spread uh, better relationships, uh, better moods, um, and everything else that tends to go, and better habits, which tends to go with social contagion. The space is called Choice Architecture, um, and that was uh, a concept that was developed by uh, Sunstein, and, and they wrote a book about it called Nunch. And basically what social contagion says is that we as humans both influence the people around us knowingly and unknowingly and vice versa with all the habits that we practice or the moods that we have or the way that we behave towards other people. So for example, social contagion is seen uh, in things like rudeness. Rudeness tends to spread or contage throughout a space. <clears throat> habits like uh, stopping smoking or eating habits tend to contage quite dramatically between individuals for about three degrees of separation, three to four degrees of separation. A friend, a friend, a friend, and you may not even know that person. That's the, that's the even more interesting thing, that even at four degrees separation, if you've never met that person, you still have, I think it's about a 10% impact on them in terms of behavior. So it's very powerful when we begin to realize how interconnected we are and how much we can contribute to the lives of others or not, and vice versa. If you can manage yourself in a way that helps you be a healthier person, you will naturally begin to affect those around you without necessarily even trying. But when we develop the, the dose value for health, happiness, and security, and really what that means is we want to, we were curious about which habits were really worth practicing to improve your life quality yeah. or to improve productivity in the workplace or reduce costs. So we looked at about 26 habits, which included health and happiness habits, and um, specifically looked at, you know, would exercise make you happier? Or would more sleep make you happier? I think we know the answer to that one. Or which happiness habits could you practice 
that might also encourage making you healthier? And is there a domino effect between them or almost a contagion between them? So basically what the 11th habit says is make sure that you start by looking after yourself. Make sure that you exercise very regularly because it's the one thing that we know can affect so many different aspects of our health, our happiness and our security. Obviously, sleep is one of those things that many people, I think, are struggling with nowadays. And so we looked at all the habits of sleep and how to improve your sleep quality and quantity. Um, and then we looked at happiness habits, which are the happiness habits that you could quickly and easily practice to not only make you happier, but obviously then make you a nicer person to be around. So mindfulness practices, expressing gratitude, um, growing optimism. Those are very, very many, uh, very many of those habits were uh, very powerful in their dose, the application of their dose and affecting your life quality or productivity and all um, costs, cost, cost issues that might, might be something that companies might look at more than an individual. How do we get people and ourselves to practice these habits in a, in a sustained fashion over a period of time and uh, keep us engaged and interested? Because I actually believe, I know that people think habits are automatic, but I do believe there's a large part of habits that is not automatic. Because if your life is disrupted in you anyway, through you have children or you travel or you change jobs, everything, as your situation changes, Sometimes even the habits that you used to practice might fall by the wayside. So there's no such thing as an automatic habit. I think it's always something that you have to continuously think about and choose to practice. And you should use people and spaces and rules and regulations around you to keep that in place. So, for example, um, you might, if you want to make it easier for yourself to do exercise, is to make sure that you have all your clothes ready the night before for the next morning so that there's no gap between you having to get up and get into your exercise clothes and get out. Yeah. So that would be maybe a, a technique that you can use for yourself. It also matters why you want to exercise and it has to be something meaningful and it's not always meaningful enough to say i want to be fit or i want to lose weight it might be you might have to think about something that has a bit of a deeper meaning to keep you doing that on the days that you don't feel like it because you know there are going to be days that you're not going to feel like it or you need to find a friend nearby who can help you um, exercise on the days that you do feel like you don't want to do it because you know if they're there, you will not disappoint them. You'll get out of bed and you'll go and exercise with them. But then also, you know, to make sure that um, the spaces that you use to exercise are easily accessible and safe to you. So it may be that you can go outside and go run or walk or do something. Or to make sure that any gym that you might use is really, really close by. So the spaces matter. Um, and the proximity of the space matters also. So those are the kind of things that you can probably do for yourself at home. In the workplace... The workplace can help you by having, for instance, sit-stand desks, which help you uh, move your body more regularly, or having what we call exercise snacks, like short little bursts of exercise throughout the day, roughly every two hours. Just do four minutes of exercise in small groups. So maybe you and your team can get together and do some squats or some push-ups or just go for you know, a quick walk around the, around the block. And work should be encouraging you to do that because that will not only help you from a health perspective, it also helps you from a productivity perspective in terms of things like cognitive function and reducing error rates and increasing stamina. 
uh, and there may be rules and regulations at work that allow you to then exercise. So to come in um, your workout clothes to work so that you can exercise more easily or get to a gym before and after work more easily or have showers at work that will allow you to do some exercise and then shower and still be ready to face clients. So there's a variety of ways and techniques that one can create the world around you or the context, as we say, um, to make that more likely for you to exercise. 22nd rule, which says if you, if you put either the TV remote or the candy far enough away so that it takes you 20 seconds or more to get to it, so lock it in a, in a closet somewhere, um, it will discourage you from reaching for it and make it easy for you to you know, either watch more TV or eat too much candy. <laughs> 